Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. We've been talking about a theology of work and calling uh, in life these past few weeks and referring to it as recovering this biblical truth is like discovering a new continent. The implications are so vast. And so we've talked about what we get wrong about finding our calling and tapping into God's deeper purpose for your work and reversing one of the most unbiblical, disempowering things that pastors or leaders commonly say. But today I want to move into working in light of the heavenly city, drawing from the life of Abraham. So there's a few primary truths I've been trying to uh, really offer you uh, to frame your life and those whom you lead, giving them a sense of vision. The first is this, that every Christian is fully called. The moment you come to Christ, you are called to full-time ministry to the day that you die, and that your calling is your whole life. It's everything that you do, and that all of your work, all of your life is holy. It's sacred. It's spiritual. There are no sacred secular compartments. And that God himself is a worker. We see this in, in the book of Genesis. Um, but we And we, too, are created to work as we are image bearers of him. It's part of what it means to be a human being uh, to work. But and, and that work in and of itself is an end in a sense of it's not a means to an end. It's good. It's intrinsically good. It offers a gift to the world uh, and back to God. And that Jesus... Uh, through the cross and resurrection and ascension and sending of the Holy Spirit, he has restored work to its original good purpose. Uh, that's So this is part of discipleship, is uh, letting our work then be restored through Jesus. And it's actually more accurate, as I mentioned in one of the previous podcasts, to speak of a first commission, which is Genesis 1, 26 to 28, to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth, cut a path through a virgin forest. That's the first commission to work. And the second commission, which is you know, to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, Matthew 28. And then finally, that Jesus sends uh, every one of his followers into workplaces that are evil and chaotic and immoral. And he sends us there to work just like he did for Daniel. He did that to Daniel and Nehemiah and Zacchaeus. We are called to be salt and light in these difficult places. And that the workplace is the primary place where we live out our faith. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a, a book of scripture called, you know, first letter to Christian carpenters or Christian social workers. God's view of work is embedded all throughout scripture. And that's why I've been seeking to provide it a, a number of angles uh, and scriptures to help you build a theology out for work. So this week, I want to talk to you about work in light of the heavenly city, drawing from the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham's story, he's called the father of us all. He is, it is the story of all of us. It's bottomless. It's so vast. There are 14 chapters devoted to him just in Genesis alone. And, and there's a longing inside each of us. It's a longing for happiness, for bliss, for ecstasy, for infinite love. Augustine called it an ache longing, that God made us for a banquet and a feast that will last forever beyond our wildest dreams, for love and union, for a heavenly city beyond earth. And, and so God invites us in this journey uh, to him, and he says, come, follow me. And so the call of Abraham is the call to all of us when the Lord says to him in Genesis 12, leave your country, your people your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And he says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
And so when God invites him to leave his country, he invites us as well, the country represents security. And God invites him to leave his people, and people represents all of our different cultures, and then to leave his father's household, which is our families and the approval we get from our families. And, and, and Abraham leaves it all, and we're called to, to leave and to follow Jesus. And it says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham obeys and goes even though he does not know where he is going. Hebrews 11:8, and he leaves all the comforts of sights and sounds and dress and language and family, his country, his schools, and he leaves and goes from Ur to Canaan, about a thousand miles away. And in the same way, following Jesus, I mean, it's a journey, and we're all getting further and further away from our home. But it says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham is looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And so when we think about our daily work, your work today, paid or unpaid, it's critical that we have this, this, this larger perspective of longing and walking in light of there's this, there's this heavenly city to which we are journeying. Um, we're going somewhere. It's so interesting because Abraham's life is the opposite of the Tower of Babel story in Genesis 11. Who, they refuse to leave. They refuse to go anywhere. They're just building something for themselves, you know, a big tower going up, and uh, God scatters them. And it's just so interesting because I, I, I believe that we're living in a time when God has, in a sense, restrained us as the church. We put such an emphasis on numbers and attendance and how many people are in a building, uh, and, and yet God is moving us out and, and calling us to equip uh, those we serve and lead to to go out and and uh, and be salt and light in their places of work and families and neighborhoods, etc. You know, for Jesus, and so God's invitation is to leave our homes for another home. My ultimate home is heaven. My ultimate security is Jesus. My ultimate father is God. My ultimate friend is Jesus, and my ultimate culture and country is heaven. And so, my ultimate home is not a place or a human being, but the loving embrace of God. This sense of a better country, a heavenly city, it changes our relationship with our work and what we do here every day. Your life is so significant. You are on a journey. And God promises that what we long for, uh, security and well-being, is in him. And Abraham trusts that, and that informs the way he works. And so Abraham, in a sense, you could say his work was real estate, he was in management, he's a business owner, he's a rancher, he's in finance, uh, he's a military guy as well. Uh, and, the, the, and by the time we get to Genesis 13, we see that Abraham has prospered and so has his nephew, Lot. They've been blessed by God. And now there's a need for more land and grass and water. And Lot's uh, business, in a sense, has prospered and grown quite large. And so is Abraham's. But now there's not enough room for both of them. There's some backbiting between their followers. There's gossip, there's resentments, there's bitterness. And we read about this clash in Genesis 13. But Abraham makes a decision there, and this comes out of his whole understanding of work, and he works again in light of the heavenly city. Uh, he, re he rejects any sense of scarcity, any, any belief or ideology of scarcity. For him, there's no tension, although there's tension between Lot's workers and Abraham's workers. Um, and he, in a sense, he anticipates Jesus. He, he takes no thought for tomorrow, and he understands everything he has as a gift. 
He's an heir. He's a receiver. He's not grasping, seizing, trying to hold on to thing. And he basically says, hey, listen, Lot, you and your followers take whatever you want. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. And he's just, uh, he's got this theology of abundance because he's working in light of, of God in this heavenly city. Uh, and so it's like, it would be like Pepsi and Coca-Cola, uh, you know, saying, okay, Pepsi saying, you take China with, you know, one point three or four billion people, and I'll take, uh, you know, Costa Rica or Nicaragua with two million people. Or Apple and Google saying, you know what, let's share our designs and development, our research and development with each other, right? You know, my family, again, is in the, has been in the Italian pastry business for many, many years. And I remember growing up uh, and uh, talking to my, my father and my uncles about the recipes, and they wouldn't even write the recipes down because they were so afraid somebody might get them and open up a uh, a rival shop nearby, and uh, there it was all an oral tradition. But this great sense of scarcity and fear informing you know their work. It's like at least here in New York, us saying to people in New Jersey, you know what, you don't have to pay a toll to get into New York City. We'll pay it for you. Where I was on a basketball, our varsity high school team, and very competitive with this other player about who would take the big shot at the end of the game, and we would actually keep the ball from each other. Um, or, you know, you're going to buy an apartment or rent an apartment or buy a house and uh, there's different people bidding for it. And you say, you know what? You take it. Uh, or boss offers you a promotion. You say, you know what? Let me give it to my friend here or give it to my coworker. Or at least here in New York City, we're always fighting for parking spaces, driving around for quite a long time. I was doing that just yesterday uh, in Manhattan. And, um, you know, you arrive there at the same time as another car and you say, you know what? You take that. Uh, again, coming out of an a, 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 a abundance mentality, not that of scarcity. So much of my life and leadership, sadly, uh, has been influenced by scarcity thinking. Because if you get it, then there won't be enough for me or my family. And so I ended up being stingy or generous. You know, Jesus, what if I have a heart attack or a stroke or I can't work again or my mind goes? And so I have insurance and I have insurance on my insurance. And culture and medias and newspapers are always telling us we don't have enough. Um, I need a, you know better teeth, better body, better clothes, all that stuff. And and uh, that's the way the business world works. It's the way the workplace goes. I love that famous story about John Rockefeller, who was the richest man in the world at his time. And he was actually influenced by his mother, who was a Baptist, a devout Baptist. But Rockefeller had his life in two compartments. He had a secular right life. He was ruthless in business violently suppressed labor unrest and bribed competitors, employees for inside information. Um, but he would go to church. And so he was asked, how much money is enough? And his answer was just a little bit more than you have. Uh, and uh, it was just, again, a scarcity mentality. It's no wonder that cheating is more popular than ever. And yet Abraham, in, in this great passage in Genesis 13, uh, when Lot's herdsmen and his herdsmen are, are, are fighting about who gets the, the, at least the, the limited amount of land that seems to be there, Abraham says, let's not have any quarreling. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. He's just generous. He, he anticipates Jesus uh, teaching uh, in Luke 12, 29 to 32, where Jesus says, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink or what, do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. 
Now, Scripture indicates that there will be work in the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, I don't fully understand it, but it, Scripture indicates that. We see that in Isaiah 60, Revelation 21 and 22. That, in other words, our work is not merely transitory and a temporary part of our humanity, that that work is part of what makes us fully human. And uh, so we do it as a gift here. So we've been focusing, at least in these last couple of weeks, on inside our workplace that as we work, and again, this work can include everything from you're a dad or a mom at home working, or maybe you're unemployed, that's your work right now, is looking for a job. Perhaps you're, you've transitioned out of your work, you're, quote, retired. I don't like that word retirement. Word is you've transitioned from your uh, you know, paid work, and now you're, you know, you're doing unpaid work for Christ, but you're still in full-time ministry. And so we've been focusing on what that looks like inside our workplace. So if you're a beautician, you make people look beautiful for God, and you offer counsel to people as they sit in the chair. If you're, if you're a traffic officer, uh, you're, you're restraining the chaos and bringing order to, to, to serve people and, and cars and children. If you're in, uh, in finances and a CPA or a financial planner, you, you, you help people steward wealth for the glory of God. You help generate wealth and jobs. If you're a salesperson you're, you're, or in real estate and, you're cl- and your client is Christ. If you're a nurse or a doctor, you offer hospitality and love as you treat patients. If you're a social worker, you you help bring order and direction and resources to people's lives. If you work for a uh, you know a small business, it might be a Panera's or a McDonald's or a Dunkin' Donuts. We we share ourselves as chaplains in full time ministry for Jesus. Maybe you're a student, but you build community um, wherever you are, uh, where there's chaos and gossip. I love the way Martin Luther King Jr. put it. If it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo carved marble. Sweep streets as Shakespeare wrote plays. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven will have to say, here lives the street sweeper who did his job well. So we work our jobs not just to make money. We work as a way to serve. We serve God and we serve our neighbor. But I want to broaden this a little bit more here today and that we also work by by bringing our our gifts, by being generous outside of our work as well. So in other words, we have certain power that comes with all of us. We've been given by God. We have a certain amount of knowledge and expertise. We've got a platform. We've got influence. And it may be some of you quite large and extensive. For others of you, it may be uh, your family, your community. We have networks that we have, people that we know. We have, we have a certain level of influence. We've got position. We've got some skills. We've got perhaps a reputation. But we draw on all that power, that vocational power, and we, we use it to advance the kingdom in a fresh way. And, and, and so, you know, there have been some... So let me just give you a couple examples of what that might look like. So I know some uh, a couple that's been in uh, creating movies uh, for quite a long time. And what they did was they created a actual... Uh, a company in uh, Rwanda to help filmmakers develop themselves. Others with administrative skills and leadership skills, I brought that to to serve a uh, the development of a homeless ministry uh, in our own church here, our community development corporation, in a food pantry. Others who great business backgrounds who help create small little micro businesses right here in Queens, New York City. I think of Alice, who's a uh, she's blind actually, but she's got some wonderful. Uh, leadership gifts and administrative gifts. And she created a, a ministry to serve disabled people around New York City, helping them get rides to work and food shopping, etc. Uh, another woman from Richmond, Virginia, who 
her, her shop was considered one of the best antique stores in the city. And, but she got serious about her faith in middle age, and she thought about going to seminary. And her pastor wisely counseled her to use her vocational power to serve Christ. So she partnered with another woman to use their networks and reputation to develop small businesses for men and women coming out of prison uh, that had, as you know, very difficult to get a job when you come out of prison. Ended up starting a whole array of businesses, restaurant, moving business, a furniture restoration business, an eBay business, just to name a few. One of the people I've followed over the years I've really enjoyed has been Mohammed Yunus, who uh, was a professor at uh, in Bang- Bangladesh and the head of the rural economics program there. But he created, uh, in 1976, a bank uh, called the Grahman Bank. And it really revolutionized the life of millions of people around the world, uh, beginning, of course, in Bangladesh, and designed a, a credit delivery system for the poor uh, so they could get loans, because they, of course, didn't qualify for loans and ended up getting, no- he got the Nobel Prize in 2006. But his goal was to eliminate exploitation of the poor by moneylenders and create self-employment and empowerment. And his loans were all interest-free. It's a great story. I encourage you to check it up. Check it out, Muhammad Yunus of the Grauman Bank. Just a little note here. The, the New Testament also has a theology of wealthy, powerful Christians. It's, you know, I, I didn't always get this in my early days, and uh, but it's really fascinating and important to keep in mind I mean, for example, Jesus makes no demand that Zacchaeus leaves everything. Uh, and Zacchaeus doesn't offer to do it. He does give half his money to the poor, uh, but he's a wealthy man. Uh, in fact, Jesus' lifestyle, it says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and uh, drunkards in Luke 7. The religious authorities wondered why Jesus and the 12 did not fast. They always seem to be eating and drinking. At the wedding feast at Cana alone, when the wine runs out, Jesus turns these six vats of purification water into 180 gallons of the best wine. Again, abundance. I mean, Mary, who pours precious perfume on the feet of Jesus, worth a year's wages, but at least at least now, uh, at least where I'm living here in New York City, you're talking about you know, fifty dollars to $60,000 but Jesus was able to enjoy it. Uh, the women who provided for Jesus out of their means, it says, they supported the 12 and Jesus uh, for years, Luke chapter 8. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. Um, and he followed Jesus from afar and he gave his tomb, his real estate, you know, to Jesus. I love this phrase that the company of the Arimatheans, so if you know people with great resources, um, you know, who are able actually to do some things for Christ, that really can be a great gift. And uh, the company of the Arimatheans, like Joseph of Arimathea, it's a great, it's a gift. Nicodemus was the member of a, was a member of a, the Jewish ruling council. He was wealthy and highly educated. Uh, James and John had a fishing business with employees uh, and in fact, were headed to a messianic banquet of delight uh, that were invited to delight in. So the principle here is very simple that material things are not evil. There is a time and a place to enjoy them. And it's a good thing to generate income, but we want to steward it for the glory of God and uh, for the poor and those without around the world with what God's given us. But we want to have, again, a balanced, full theology around money and wealth. But we're talking about here Abraham, uh, who's an incredibly generous person, free, 
because he's working and living in this abundance mentality, not scarcity in light of the heavenly city. So how do we do this? I mean, how do you, how do you live this out, Pete? What does that, what does that look like? And you know, one of the themes in the life of Abraham is he's consistently building altars uh, and he calls on the name of the Lord as he's traveling on this journey. We see him moving his tent and living near a great tree at Hebron where he built an altar to the Lord. And you see this phrase, he built an altar to the Lord. Uh, and a building of an altar, the calling on the name of God is a, is a, is a resolution. It's a, it's a stopping to, to, to worship and to cling to no other God but God. It's really an act of defiance against all the other gods and loyalties that are demanded from us that surround us. For him, it was the gods of the Canaanites. For us, it's the gods of anxiety and fear and uh, money and security and pleasure and all those things around us that want, demand our allegiance. And we trust in the name of the Lord. Uh, but he stops, he worships, he gives, he gets rhythm, he gets perspective. In the same way, we are invited by God to stop, to surrender and trust, to work in light of the eternal city, the heavenly city, to where we're headed, to, to his embrace. Uh, I love that. I love that text. He, he obeyed and went, Hebrews 11, 8, even though Abraham, even though he did not know where he was going. I don't know where I'm going. I know I'm going to him. You don't know where you're going, but we're going, we're following him. And this idea of leaving on this journey as we head toward our heavenly city is such a huge biblical theme. So so, so the invitation, how, how do I do that is, is we want to be consistently building altars. We do that through Sabbath and, and stopping through silence and stillness and taking a deep breath, breath when flooded. I like when it's also interesting when Abraham stops building altars, as some scholars have noted, that's when he finds himself in trouble, making bad decisions. Uh, uh, that implications of all those around him. Very fascinating. Uh, and then, then secondly, he's, he's just surrendered. And I would say to be anticipating, we surrender to the Holy Spirit. You know, that verse, you know, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, Jesus said. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it go, where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit, John 3. There's a sense where we must be born again and again, in a sense, carried by the Spirit. You know, in Hebrew and Greek, that word for wind and spirit and breath is one word in, in, in Hebrew, and it's this moving power of God, the wind of God. And so I want to invite you, uh, wherever you find yourself, uh, to build altars, to stop and, and be with Jesus. And, and we like to call that the daily office, you know, stopping to pause to be with God, you know, one, two, three times a day for silence and stillness before him uh, and inviting the Holy Spirit's wind to blow through you as God leads you on a journey for him, hopefully a journey of generosity. So let me invite you to, uh, we have a prayer guide to help you get started with that uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office. I developed this prayer guide in my early years when I was starting to write some materials to help people stop and be with God before the day-by-day -day books that many of you know. And it's a, it's a simple way to stop three times a day. You can download it as a PDF or put it in your phone. Uh, and it's meant to help folks get started in a sense to build altars, uh, to stop and be with Jesus you know, three times a day so that during the rest of the time, I'm abiding in him. So uh, it's, a, it's a way to get started. I wanna invite you to download that tool at emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office. It's free. And in fact, next week, I'm going to uh, offer a, a uh, we're going to have this page we're putting together with a, with a number of resources on a theology of work and calling, uh, even an ID card to help commission people into full-time ministry 
Uh, it's not set up yet. It will be set up in about six days uh, from now when you see this, hear this video. And just it'll be at emotionallyhealthy.org slash work. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash work. And uh, you just go to it in about six or seven days. It will be there ready for you. So thank you, everybody. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And uh, I pray that you can add this to your larger framework of a biblical theology of work and your calling in life. So be blessed, I pray. May the Lord be with you. uh, And may you be salt and light and a gift to all those you touch this day. God bless you. Great to be with you today. Thank you.